Hi, everybody. This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless your brother Ferris is faking a life-threatening illness to get out of school, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Bain. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Waiting for Bilbo, an absurdist uh, audio drama set in Middle Earth. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> this is uh, Hi Everybody, a bad medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. I was going to go with Boromir and Faramir are dead, uh, but decided nope. to go with the more popular absurdist play from the 70s. That's um, so uh, you can find this podcast online at uh, Hi Everybody MD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or at www.hieverybodymd.com, or Jackson Bay. You, you can call us at 530-DOCTORB, that is 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. The B this week stands for bowel, which is actually a big plot point of the episode we're doing this week. Yeah, this week we're talking we're talking about Chicago Med for the first time, uh, based on uh, some stuff I saw on Facebook a couple weeks ago. We're going to be talking about Season 5, Episode 5, A Friend in Me, uh, and we are joined for the first time by Dr. Uh, Scott Herskovitz. Hey, how you doing? Uh, is, Scott, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a pediatric emergency doctor. I actually work with the, uh, you know, inimitable Jackson Vane yep. uh, at, uh, <laughs> at a hospital in San Diego. So I grew up in Southern California uh, and have had ties to the community for quite a while. Uh, I enjoy a lot of movies and love to criticize them just as much as these guys. So I'm really happy to be here and able to criticize them and maybe give uh, a couple uh, bonus points for some good job that they do as <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. Um, this, this was, I think, all of our first Chicago Med episode. Yeah. And yeah. it is drama. Yeah. As a former Chicagoan, I would not say it's this dramatic in their ERs and whatnot, at least when I rotated through there. This, it, was, this was rough. As a native Midwesterner, everyone <laughs> was way too skinny. <laughs> <laughs> I can say um, that they're my people. Yeah, I was just yeah. transplanted over there. I can't say that and can't make that judgment. No, <laughs> uh, I, I will say the one weird accurate thing is all the attendings that wore white coats wore gray coats, which is actually a thing over there. Really? Where yeah, so their attendings don't wear white long coats; they wear long gray coats to differentiate themselves from the residents. Huh. So. Oliver Babish, the psych, I don't know what his name was. Like, um, he was dressed in a gray coat because he was an attending psychiatric physician. Okay. Whereas the resident who was the ER resident who was in the, the OR for some reason mm-hmm. doing surgery was yeah, wearing what, a white coat. What was that all about? He's an intern ER, he's an intern ED resident, but he's going Correct. to surgery? He was technically a third year emergency resident because he was under Dr. Choi, the Asian doctor's tutelage for like two years and then now he's under the tutelage of the macho surgeon dr marcel so i think this is a good jumping point to the first case which is the bowel case because it made no sense at all (laughs) (laughs) but um i can briefly describe it it was just this guy named carl had chronic abdominal pain moved here from tennessee to chicago and is saying that he has really bad belly pain 
Yeah, and he was, as far as things that we've, things, people that we've seen that have like real, yes. uh, like real, real illnesses as opposed to um, uh, Fast and the Furious kidney dialysis through an iPad. Uh, <laughs> he was the, possibly the grayest and um, most sickly looking person we've seen that wasn't a zombie. Yeah, he was real pale. Um, probably one of the more pale people I think they've made look on TV. I, but he looked so comfortable and had normal vital signs. And they kind of talked about all the labs and stuff they did. I don't know if you guys caught that part, but they, mm -hmm. he rattled off a bunch of tests. Like, I'm going to get a chest x-ray and a belly x-ray and CBC and all this other stuff. And they just go, oh, yeah, he's anemic. And that's it. So they did all those lab tests. And yeah. did I don't know if he – did he even examine the patient? Like – I, I was watching and I was like, did you, did you feel his abdomen? No. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, when I see an abdominal pain patient, I don't go like, hmm. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You don't walk yeah. by the room and go surgical, not surgical, surgical. I mean, if I was a surgeon, I would. That's why, you know, of course I would just be like, yep, nope. Yeah. But you know, we're not surgeons. So I mean, I, the thing was crazy. Yeah. And I would say the first thing I thought of, like, I was trying to play along and play guess the diagnosis. I'm like, cancer? Question mark? Before, like, they even said what he had with the chronic abdominal pain and whatnot, which is probably one of the most, I would say, frustrating diagnoses or chief complaints yeah. that we deal with in the emergency department. Yeah. Uh, could Carl have just had too many hot Cheetos? Takis, buddy. Takis. Ah, uh, Chicago's a... Chicago's it, a hot Cheetos town. It, Chicago's or, might be a hot Polish town. I was going to say it's probably Polish sausage and, <laughs> and, and deep dish pizza. He's from, Na he's from Nashville, man. He, he just oh, hot, hot chicken, hot chicken hot, picks, So it's a hot chicken tummy. Yeah, you so, know it. So it's got hot chicken tummy. And then like they, he's got like an obstruction or some sort of like that. And like I swear, those patients that have been doctor shopping or moving around, that's like the most frustrating thing I think to deal with as a PR doctor because you can't dig up their records or anything like that. That, that. Well, that was the frustration that they had was that the uh, whatever hospital he went to in Tennessee was out of oh. business. And so they were trying to get his records from uh, from Jim Bob's discount medical record shop <laughs> and and couldn't find him. Yeah. Have you heard have you heard of this before? Like hospital records being held hostage for money? No. I don't yeah. know how that's legal. Because <laughs> that's what they said, hostage. right? That's what they yeah. said. They said it was the hospital's bankrupt. They want to destroy these medical records um, unless they get paid or something like that. Like, I don't understand how that works in the real world. Yeah. you. I, I, don't, I don't get that. I, one, I'm pretty sure the technical owner of those patients' medical records is the patient. So I don't think you can just destroy them for no reason, but come on. I mean, I don't know that whole, that whole part of the, the episode was just a non-starter. I was like, you just threw that in for, it's not, it's not important. Like we have enough chronic abdominal pain patients that come into the emergency department. You, you, you don't need to throw that in. Just be like, yeah, he's got abdominal pain for the past 20 years. We don't know why. Oh, perfect. You know what we're not going to find out today? What's wrong with him? That's, <laughs> That's exactly well, how it goes. I mean, I, I think you and I would both agree on this, Scott, that usually we preface those chronic abdominal pains like, look, we might not figure out what's wrong, <laughs> but at least we'll figure out what's not going to kill you. 
Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I think a lot of people struggle with these patients, but in my mind, they're super easy. They're they're there. Like, could there something could something be going wrong? Sure. In this case, this guy is jacked up, but this is an easy patient. Like, yeah. you know, the one time you end up shotgunning lab tests and and potentially imaging, it's probably the one time you're going to do it because it's more to say, right? Like as you said, you're going to be okay versus hey, we're going to find an answer or you're going to die right now. Yeah, so, and I'm so, surprised. I was going to say the one test they didn't order was a lipase, which I always right, check for abdominal right. pain. And, and what's that's that? What was so lipase is an enzyme that's made in your pancreas, which is what was wrong in this patient. Which was because okay, they ordered a lot of they tossed out a lot of big words like we're going to do an angiogram and a CT contrast of your abdomen, um, but they took him in and he was really unstable. Like he looked like crap. Like that's a patient yeah. I'd be a little more tenuous about taking to the scanner because if he codes, you can see there's not that much room to work mm -hmm. in there. They were really they worried that he was gonna vomit in the scanner. That's like the, the least concerning thing. I think the, the thing that I would be most upset about if someone vomits in the scanner is that they moved. Mm -hmm. So the, <laughs> scan, <laughs> the scan's not valid. Yeah, yeah that's, that would be- hey, That's the one thing. That's the one thing I'll give that Dr. Choi, right? He was like, he was like, man, he moved. It wasn't a good scan and I'm like, Dude, you're right because that happens and it pisses us all off. <laughs> all you see is like fuzz where you need to look at. I'm like, I can't tell what this is. And you know what's going to help? An MRI with a very anxious patient. Like, yeah. impossible. You're going through a cave. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's, a little you know, tough. A CT scan takes like less than, less than a minute. An MRI can take, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes for them to actually do this. So you're like, all right, we're going to do an MRI for a guy who couldn't stand still for, or couldn't lay still for 30 seconds. Come on. Like, you think that's going to work? Come on, buddy. You, I, you were on the right path for a second there, but. You have to be right though. I've never seen a surgeon so anxious to take a patient to the OR. That's the other or, thing too. Or an ED doc. So <laughs> militant about not letting a patient go to the surgical service or be admitted. I'd be like, oh, you want to take them? Oh, okay. All right. That's fine. Sounds good. As long as long as they're not dying right here, I'm, I'm all for it. See, Johnny, this is what I was talking about, about I don't care where you go as yeah. long as you're not in depart my department anymore. That's like the most important thing, unfortunately. It's like we're trying to free up those beds as quick as possible. Right. Your, your, your goal in this situation would be A, to um, send him out still uncomfortable, but living to poop another day or <laughs> take him, take him pat, you know, say, well, this is something more serious than we're going to be able to treat in the few hours that, that you're in our dimly lit bed. Yeah. Uh, and That's the darkest ER, I swear to God. Yeah. But it was really nicely. It was, it had some really nice lighting. I thought it was really intimate. Yeah. You know, I the ambiance like was great. Also you know, richest hospital ever. All those like cows are Apple. They're all on iPads. Like they are fancy, fancy hospitals. What is we're, a cow? A uh, computer on computer wheels. On wheels. Ah. I'm sorry, we're supposed to call them WOWs, workstation <laughs> on wheels. Because the, the urban legend of hospitals is a mom got upset that we called it a cow. Yeah. Like someone a... moved that cow and thought that we we're talking about a parent. So yeah, there was called, a. 
cows. Now wows. <laughs> now wows. Yeah, that was a really nice ED. I was like, I was like, look, you know, unless this is some like crazy private hospital in Chicago, I'll tell you what, Cook County don't look like that. No, no. It doesn't. It I can does tell you not. right now, Cook County, Rush, Loyola, Mount Sinai, the ones that are all around that area do not look like that. That's a guy who no. rotated in Chicago. I can tell no. you that very clearly. Uh, it, that's crazy. One of the things that you brought up was, okay, you've got this ER uh, resident who is um, uh, take, what, t- taking a gap year as a surgeon. Um, sure. But so... I, so when you do your rotations through all the different departments, that's something you're doing in med school, right? So it's not something you're well, doing. You do it in residence. residence. You do it in okay. residency too. So emergency medicine will rotate through like the pediatric ER, the ICU, the trauma ICU, do toxicology, basically kind of also rotate through various parts. And then also, but the majority of their residency is in the emergency department. Okay. Um, whether or not you scrub into a case, that's very unlikely. And, and scrubbing into a case as an emergency medicine resident and the surgeon being like, tell me your approach, doctor. And you're like, well, I'm going to go a medial incision. I'm going to retract this. Like, whoa, unless you got the textbook out in front of you about the surgical pathways to approach the, the pancreas and how to dissect that and remove it. Man, that is the best emergency medicine resident of all time. <laughs> I would never be able to say any of that stuff, like how no. to approach or anything like that. Also, they touch his face a lot when he's scrubbed in, like a lot. <laughs> which is always the problem with ORs, OR scenes is they're always touching their face and adjusting stuff. But never have I ever seen a resident that's not a surgical resident scrub in and actually get to do the first cut. Yeah, it's like super rare. Not even yeah. on his birthday. Uh, <laughs> uh, those are those are different times, though. If it's your birthday, you get to wear a birthday hat, and then you get to cut. <laughs> that's how it like works. But I mean, on. you're right. I mean, that's the thing is not maybe maybe a third year um, surgical resident would be um, being able to perform the surgery. Like a first or second year surgical resident, they're there as an assist. Mm-hmm. A third or fourth year, maybe a fourth year, yes. But a third year, shoot, man, a simple straightforward appendix, they're still watched like a hawk. And that's still not exactly the most standalone procedure for them. It's not like the surgeon's like, tell me what to do and you do it. They're going to be right there doing it with them. Yeah. We kind of saw this uh, in the episode of The Resident we talked about last week where uh, the surgeon went for a drive and left his residence to perform the surgery. But yep. that surgeon was also a cocky asshole. Yes. I would never <laughs> let any surgeon, especially a newbie, do any kind of surgery by themselves. I barely let my residents sew, like if they're a first year, by themselves, like a laceration. I'm like watching them like a hawk because they're sometimes I go I know what I'm doing you come in and it looks like a murder mm-hmm. you're like okay I need to watch you carefully and prove that you know what you're doing before I let you do anything by yourself like super cautious about that stuff because it looks bad and I think this is one of those situations where 
you have an off-service resident doing a bunch of random stuff, especially if it's bowel resection and cutting out the pancreas, which I learned in medical school is not your friend. The pancreas hates you and will act up and will be at any moment trying to kill you. Hey, so they got that right. They got that right, Jackson. They did. They did say the pancreas is not your friend or something along those lines. The pancreas is not your friend. Cool. That, that was actually one of the, the, the things that I had a question about. Uh, so sweet. Yeah. So pancreatic cancer, bad. Right. Uh, pancreatic cyst, bad. Um, you can't take it out because it's really hard to dig in there to get it out. And then if it goes away, you need to take enzymes for the rest of your life. Otherwise you die. Okay. So it's bad. So it's, it it, pancreas is more your frenemy. It's more like your enemy. Okay. <laughs> um, so it, this is Carl is also the only character in this episode whose name I remembered. Okay. Uh, so anything else to say about Carl? Tummy pain guy. Yeah, tummy pain yeah. guy. No. no. We'll talk more about how to fix it later. Okay. I mean, um, the the only thing like that interaction between. I mean, I will say the arrogance that the surgeon portrays is not uncommon, and. Sure. That is something that you you hear more over the phone. It rarely are you having the attending surgeon down in the emergency department looking for patients unless they're there for a particular reason. If they're yeah. there because they just did uh, an appendicitis case and they're like, hey guys, is there anything else you got for me? I'm here. That's the only time yeah. the attending surgeon is gonna have is gonna have that conversation with you. Otherwise, and they're on the way home. Yes. Otherwise, <laughs> no. They're like, yeah. don't talk to me. I'm out of here. Whatever you're going to tell me is wrong. So leave me alone. Yeah. I mean, the only time I've ever talked to a surgeon where they're like, hey, is there anything brewing for me? It's like, look, I'm about to go home. I mean, I'm here if you need me. But is there anything brewing right now so I can get ready or just yeah. kind of prep? But please prep need me in the next 45 minutes or not at all. Correct. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure there's only one surgeon that I know, at least at uh, at our hospital, who would actually do that. <laughs> he's a good guy. Yeah, he's very good. Um, um, let's let's move on to the the uh, mental health patient next. Uh, I was going to say that one. Oh, God. Uh, Eunice, the lawyer. <laughs> the, um, the immediate groan of both of us on that one. Yeah, uh, this this is uh, uh, this the scene with Oliver Babish from West Wing. Uh, and uh, forget character's name. I don't know. The actor's just, name is it's, he's either Oliver Sacks or Oliver Platt. One of them. What? Okay, he's Oliver Platt. The other one wrote uh, "My Mother the or, uh, My Husband the Hat" and Sybil. Um, and I always confuse the two. And for a while, I actually thought that the guy who wrote, who you know, basically discovered disassociative identity disorder, also moonlit as an actor on The West Wing. <laughs> <laughs> Not in this case, but that would have worked a little bit if that's yeah. the case. No, um, so, I mean, que question one before we get into this character, uh, into this case, they crammed way too many cases in this episode. Um, but, yes, yeah, four, uh, five. five, five, oh five. yeah, because because there was the the doctor with cancer. Um, yeah. uh, is he really just the same doctor from Flatliners? Oh God! <laughs> it took place in Chicago. <laughs> God. Oh my God, you just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, he is exactly the same age as he would Dr. be had Flat he Leonard. aged up. Yeah, but he was dead. No, he was No, he, he lived. 
He didn't flatline, right? Or did he? No. If he, I don't, if he did flatline, I don't know. Because it was boring. I, he lived. Yeah. Because he was the voice of reason. He might have been the flatliner's dog. Someone should tweet that to them. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, uh, as a tangent, we really need to do 17 people from West Wing. Okay. That's um, on my list. Uh, so this this was a situation where we had a lawyer come. It basically um, the equivalent of the the actress from Scrubs who died, the, the character from Scrubs who died of rabies. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody comes in with way too much, uh, who's, you know, hyper, hyperactive, uh, high pressure lifestyle. Turns out she's bipolar, uh, and wants to be admitted or, uh, the doctor wants to admit her and she's against it. Yeah. They, okay. So it's a 25 year old female lawyer, not sleeping for two days. I will say the first thing I would ask for if they were brought in by the police and someone was that manic, it's like drug screen. Now, please, thank you. Because I mean, I don't know how Scott feels, but I'm thinking cocaine, 100. <laughs> percent It was. I mean, it was in my mind. I was like, dude, that girl, that girl's been like, yeah, like straight up. Um, That's but... the only way she can get through all that stuff. But I would also say, putting a psych patient in that kind of room with all that stuff is not safe. I don't know it, if you it, noticed, there was so much, like, so many things in that room, like the monitor. The code cart was in the room, like, and then, um, which we learned later in the episode, all those rooms can lock from the inside. Yeah, I didn't think about that with the, with the psych patient, but you're absolutely right. You don't want a patient, a psych patient or any patient being able to barricade themselves in a room. Like even our yeah. bathrooms, we can knock them down, like take off the hinges and get in. But all those rooms potentially can be locked from the inside. And that is not safe. Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure from a uh, logistical standpoint, when designing the emergency department, that's the last thing that you would choose. So, not real. Yeah. Uh, it, it's the so so she comes in super manic. Yeah. Uh, and um, the and Dr. Howard. Sure. Question mark. Um, <laughs> sure. Oliver Babish. Uh, wants uh, wants to ad- wants to admit her uh, for psychiatric care because well she's obviously manic. Um, I did did they say what drug they gave her to uh, to calm down the episode? Didn't hear it. There was like some kind of DMAT or whatever it was, and I don't I didn't hear it clearly. But she like was given that she went to sleep and then she like feels much better and then she talks about how she was like. Three hundred thousand dollars in debt, and she needs to work hard. I'm like, I feel you. I, feel <laughs> I, I know. Pain. I think about that all the time. I was like, wait, that that makes you manic because you're flipping out because you got to pay like a billion dollars worth of debt. I'm pretty sure I think about that every day. Yeah, you got to calm down, woman. It, it's okay. <laughs> like, well, but you can't work that hard in a like a law firm. Like a law firm will not care that much. They care about results. And if your results are tainted by how much you're staying up and going nuts, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I've, I've, I've dealt with, with people having actual manic episodes and yes, they can do a lot and they can, uh, they have a lot of output of creative and out, out of the box ideas, but none of them are actually effective ideas. No. 
Yeah. And then she goes like, oh, let's go. No, go for it. Go for it. No, I was going to say like, so Dr. I'll, I don't know, Dr. Babish just goes, hey, I think you need some help. And the patient just goes, I want to go home. I want to go to the firm. She goes, I know what an involuntary hospital is or hospitalization is. I don't want to do it. I don't think she gets the point, but the doctor goes along with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I'm with you there as well. So as a lawyer, just because, but maybe this is a lawyer thing. Just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean you know everything about every single aspect of law, but maybe you think, maybe you think you do. I don't know. Just, you know, I'm a doctor, but uh, I, I don't know everything about surgery. At the same time, she probably does have an understanding of, of what her rights are in regards to uh, an involuntary medical hold. At the same time, what she, just because you say, I know what my rights are, doesn't mean that the doctor in that situation can't go, oh, really? That's fascinating. However, you're a danger to yourself and a danger to others. We're going to keep you in the hospital. That's, yeah. that's all. That's all that has to be done. And I, I, I think that's the thing that people, that people miss or don't understand is one, we don't want to have to do that. I mean, maybe, no. maybe that's the impetus behind the conversation that's had. Maybe that's why he goes along with it. And I get that because I don't want to keep some, I don't want to force somebody to stay in the hospital if I don't have to, I'd rather it to be a, a mutual decision, especially with an adult. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't actually have the right to say just because you know your rights that that means that you can't stay in the hospital. And, 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 and even if you do, it's great. You have, you absolutely have the right to, you know, not participate. To, to go to not participate. Well, A, not to participate, but B, hey, you can absolutely protest. Um, it's uh, Friday at 7.50 p.m. So you can log your complaint first thing Monday morning. Uh, and see when the judge will hear, uh, see when the judge will listen. Um, so Scott, you don't, this, this is my like se second time really talking to, uh, talking to Scott. So sorry to get really personal here for a second, but, uh, I actually was 5150 once, uh, for depression. Uh, and I did kind of had, have a similar conversation, but I also knew that if I didn't go along with it, I'd probably still be getting put away for a minute. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think we're, I think Jax and I are both insanely sympathetic to these cases. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the emergency department is a horrible place for, for psychiatric care. It just mm -hmm. so happens to be, that's the way that our medical system is set up. And it's not just the United States. So people who criticize the United States for, for our crappy psychiatric care, guess what? It's not it's just everywhere. us. It's a lot of places. However, you know, you're, you're right. Like mm -hmm. you, when you, when you make that statement of, I, I didn't want to necessarily go along with it. I don't know if I necessarily needed it, but I understood the ramifications of it or, or not the ramifications, but the legit, the, the logical consequences of this, like I can say no, uh -huh. but like you said, it's a Friday. You know what? A, a judge is not going to override that 5150 at seven o'clock on a Friday night. Right. And, and I think, and I think most doctors would avoid having that type of 
confrontation. I think most of us don't want that. I think I'd, we, we'd rather, if that means that I have to spend an hour talking to you face to face, and that takes my time away from somebody else, that's fine. If I really think that that is the best thing for you, that's what it is. And, yeah. and I hope that you see that. But I think sometimes in these psych, when we talk about psych, psychiatric care and when it's portrayed in television, it's portrayed horribly. It is, yeah. yeah. Horribly. And, and just as a like side note, you know, for A, because Scott, we haven't ever, ever talked about this before, and B, anyone who's listening, um, it was absolutely the right thing to happen for me. And if you're in a situation like that, absolutely seek help. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, it was the best, one of the best things that ever happened to me. So just want to put yeah. that out there too. And the doctors aren't trying to be the bad guys in the situation, um, putting someone on a hold or a 5150 or anything like that. A lot of times it's because you might not have the insight to see what's going on, you know, like staying up mm -hmm. for two days, not sleeping, going manic, scaring people around you, having someone actually call the police to pick you up. You might not be in that right mind frame to make those decisions. And that's why a doctor would put you on a hold, not just to like, or not to be mean, but really to protect yourself. Right. And to protect, or really to protect the patient from themselves. Right. Like when we sign a 5150, at least in the state of California, there has to be a justification. So it's like gravely disabled, which I think is the case for this patient or danger to self or danger to others. And this is a patient that is so manic that she's not going to be able to take care of herself. And, and, and it's kind of like the, the same situation with Carl, uh, where if you've got somebody coming in with abdominal pain, your goal is to send them home because they're just going to be, because they'll be a little less comfortable than normal, but fine. Sending them home safely. Right. That's yes. the key with anything in emergency medicine is if you're sending someone home, you send them home safely and right. always giving them lots of instructions of when to come back. And I think... In this case, clearly this is a patient that should not go home because he was pale as, as well, you know. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. You're 100% right. Oh, and I would never send a patient like this home. And I would be calling a surgeon. And here's the other thing. If the kid did have an obstruction, he'd have an NG tube by now. I'm just saying. Um, Don't go back this, to Carl. Let Carl die. <laughs> they saved him. He's fine. He went over there. Also, the surgeon whispering over while he was under anesthesia, it's going to be an easy surgery. Who the hell does that? This is not an easy surgery. They were he just trying to that. make it sound like he has a heart, okay? He, that he's he not does. like the surgeon that's like, you, <laughs> not surgical. You, not surgical. I, you, I think, your mom's hot. That's, you know, it's, <laughs> come on. I think I wrote in the beginning, before we discussed all of this, I said, this show is effing dramatic. Why is it so effing dramatic? Why is it more dramatic than the resident? I can't handle this. Yeah, I, 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 I got a barrage of text messages over like five and a half minutes from Jackson. I could not handle it. Well, um, you know, yeah, I don't know. The, the, psych, the psych stuff bothers me still. Like, it really bothers me. Yeah, but... I don't like, and how did he diagnose her with bipolar with mania so quickly? All right, time compression. I'm giving it, I'm giving it the time compression. Fair. They need I'll to not do go. five cases. Go. So what, this is an episode that runs 48 minutes, which seems 48 on five hours. And they ran like five episodes or five yeah. different medical cases in it. That's too many. Yeah. Question about, about, about her situation before we move on to, to patient three of five. Um, eventually she goes <laughs> to the, uh, 
she goes to the hospital chapel and uh, is, you know, and that's where she has the heart to heart with Oliver Babish uh-huh. of, uh, yeah, maybe I can't take care of this on myself. I, I need uh-huh. more help. Uh-huh. So that struck me as weird. Hey, we've got this psych patient that we're looking at admitting involuntarily. Uh-huh. Uh, why don't you go for a walk by yourself for a bit? Here's a better question. Why is she still in her streets? Oh. I would have I changed her clothes. <laughs> Because if you have a, you're, a high risk for an eloper. You're meaner should, than me. You're meaner oh, than me. Look, this is what, 36 episodes? <laughs> um, this is 38. 38 episodes? This is episode um, 38. I can be mean because you don't want a patient with a high elope risk wearing their own clothes. You'll never find them again. And you know this is true, Scott, because that's like the biggest <laughs> issue when we have runners is it's easy to find them when they're wearing our clothes. True. They stand out pretty well. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to run down very, the highway. Very true. Yeah. But still, so. yes, I agree. Like letting them go walk around by themselves, that is not protocol at all for someone, uh, a psych patient who you are concerned about harming themselves, harming, uh, harming somebody else, or who, who is at great, just uh, at risk for neglect themselves even. So yeah, that doesn't happen. I mean, I've, I've definitely had psych patients where, you know, the, the, they're really, really overly anxious and they're like, can you please just let me go for a walk? And I will get security and I'll be like, hey, look, I, I want to avoid having to medicate this patient, but if you would just go, go walk with them, if you feel comfortable, there's somebody there, I, I'm, a, I'm down for that but not letting them go by themselves. Like what kind of crazy person does that? A uh, crazy person. <laughs> <laughs> so, crazy so you would, you'd 5150 the doctor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it dangered to themselves or others. Danger uh, to others, obviously, right off the bat. Oof. Uh, yeah, she, <clears throat> that was terrible. I just watched the scene on, it was in my background and just watching her try to walk out the exit and just staring at the exit. I'm like, nope. <laughs> Nope, not good. Uh, so, um, patient patient three would. Uh, I'm going to say that that would be uh, the the guy who was two days till retirement, and uh, basically it was the equivalent of of I got two days till retirement in a in a lethal weapon movie. Oh, oh. I'm going to come in and talk about my fiance, but I can't get her on the phone. God. You're going to die. You are not going to make it through this episode, sir. I apologize. God. I knew that guy was going to die the minute they brought him on. Yeah. You know it why? Was... You know why they killed that guy? Because they always kill the black guy. There's that always. too. So messed up. <laughs> but I think, okay, so this was a case for Dr. Halstead. I had to write it down because I was trying to figure it out. A patient comes in with a swollen calf and, calf, and he immediately calls it a blood clot without scanning him or checking a pulse or anything. He just sees swollen leg, boom. DVT, and he diagnosed it only with him uh, flexing his foot, like stepping down on a gas pedal. And that's how he diagnosed the DVT immediately. Could have been murder hornets. <laughs> don't, 2020 has suffered enough. We don't need to bring in murder hornets on this one. But I've never seen anyone diagnose DVTs, especially a distal DVT with just plantar flexion. No. 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 I mean, you can diagnose uh, compartment syndrome with plantar flexion, 
You can it's, diagnose Oh, well, but that's a, I mean, technically pain. that's a clinical diagnosis, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a patient who probably needed more tests before they just started him on a heparin drip, which they did right away. Yeah, yeah, they did. So kudos. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's interesting that one of the patients, they go, they actually tell you like, hey, well, why don't you get a CBC, CMP, a yeah. UA, a chest X-ray, abdominal film. Can they do that. But on this guy, they're like, oh, Nothing. yeah. You got a you got a DVT. We're gonna start you on some heparin. He's not so, even on monitors. <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I get it. Again, like some of this goes into time compression, right? Like they're trying to show that he decompensates very quickly. But come on, man, do this better. Like just yeah. Come on. Yeah, because they sent him straight to the CT scanner, no IV or anything like that, because he couldn't breathe and his foot was more swollen. And that's the last patient you want to send to the CT scanner without like close monitoring or at least getting some medication because like we talked about with Carl, the tummy pain guy, the last thing you want is a decompensating patient in the scanner. And this patient yeah. clearly was decompensating. They made him look really sweaty. He had a hard time catching his breath. He wants to talk to his fiance. He can't, he's super tired. And he just looks horrible. I'll, I'll say that overall, Chicago Med has had the most, these people actually look like they're dying makeup that we've seen. Because <laughs> it's Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could just be that they live in Chicago. Uh, angry those emails to hiEverybodyPodcast at gmail.com. Those Polish sausages <laughs> got to go somewhere, dude. I mean, at least, at least they stuck to the, to the actual script of, how medicine actually works. Like they kill, again, they kill the black guy and tend to ignore him decompensating. Like we just had a case of that in New York, right? Of mm -hmm. some pregnant woman who I, who I, I forgot the, the complete details surrounding it, but she was like, hey, I'm not doing well. Hey, I'm not doing well. She died. And this happens all the time. And, and I mean, I think sometimes in some of these shows, especially the medical shows, it's like, it's a great, opportunity to address some of the racial issues that exist within our society, I think, because we're not immune to them, whether implicit or explicit. Mm -hmm. And these are, these are issues that, you know, you see this guy and it's like, oh yeah, man, don't worry. We got you. We'll talk to your, we'll talk to your uh, fiance. Yeah, bro. I'm the suave, good looking ED doc. <laughs> and, uh, you're like, okay, his leg looked horrible. His leg was horrendous. And he has, like, I guarantee if you went Smoking. down, like, Wells or uh, or Perk, like, he probably meet, like, all those criteria. Yeah, yeah, these are all guidelines to show, assess your risk for pulmonary embolus. That mm -hmm. guy probably had, like, half of them. I don't know. But, like, come on. Like, you were just going to let him chill and sit yeah. there? Yeah, no, no. And run his phone down to 4%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the most important thing, man. Yeah. But then they finally make the decision like, oh, uh, you have a DVT in your lungs. We've got to send you to IR. Like that patient should have went from the CT scanner straight to IR. IR right being? Away. Interventional radiology. Interve interve so they actually like guide a wire up and try to send like this medication called TPA to melt the clot so that oh. we can breathe again. Yeah. 
and it's like all radiology. So they like send a wire up and you can see wires in radiology because they're radio opaque so you can see it. They go up, they like inject the, the medication and try to melt the blood clot out so he can breathe again. But before they could send him to IR, he codes with the worst sound that one can ever describe in the hospital, which is the sound of a disconnected vent. Because <laughs> that's the sound. That's not the sound of someone crashing. That's the sound of someone's vent disconnected. It's like boop, 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 boop. You remember that? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. That's the sound. It's not it's the so sound true. of someone going into asystole or VFib. It's the sound of someone disconnected your ventilator. And any like resident or nurse that's worked in an ICU or has been around a, a vent, you hear those sounds like, why, where, where is it coming from? Who is not connected to a ventilator right now? Cause you'll so, hear it a lot. So I, do I need to change the intro sound effects to this podcast? Dude, to the <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Yeah, that's the sound. And that, that was the sound they played when the patient coded. And I could not stop laughing cause that was horrible. But he has VFib and yeah. they shocked him. Yeah. And, and right, I noticed though. they shocked him with paddles. Yes. Yeah, like what is this, the 1980s? Come on, man. That ED is way too nice to be shocking people with panels. That is Dolls. not how the real world works nowadays. Come on. You got iPads, but you're using paddles? Come on. Slap some stickers on there and get ready to shock. And they said he was in VFib, and you look on the monitor, and it's not VFib. Um, and then, but I will give them credit. Their compressions looked really good. They really, they really, um, you know, showed those triceps of his. Yeah, <laughs> he he did it push up style. Like he locked his elbows and really he went did. for it. He did. So he actually. Again, I'll, I'll give him, the, I'll give him the time credit on the the time compression there because you know they, you can't, they you call can't that code. Anymore. They call that code quick. Yeah. They they did compressions. Gave him what one round of epi and just said two dead. rounds. Two yeah, rounds? that was two rounds. Two rounds. Two rounds. Yeah, two that rounds. was the that was the quickest. Again, I think I think it's because of time, time compression. compression. I think it's but time they, compression. They called that code super quick. Um, and Scott and I were talking about this before uh, we recording. We were recording this episode was probably should have given him one more medication before they called the code. When um, it was the TPA medication, I think is what we were talking about. And what's that? Uh, so it, it's essentially the clot, bu the clot buster okay. uh, that Jackson yeah. was talking about before. Um, yeah, that's, <clears throat> he, he probably should have. I, I uh, offline, I had messaged Jackson and was like, "Dude, if you stop this code, this resuscitation without giving TPA, um, you you would be sued and you might lose that case because the sole reason." presumably that this guy died is because he had a massive pulmonary embolism that was obstructing both his, um, his pulmonary arteries. And that's why he died. So I think that's, I, I just, I don't see it. Like this is one of those realistic things where like, if you're going to go all the way and if you're going to try and be realistic, give the medication. Cause like literally you will be sued. And like afterward, when they have the conversation, like, Hey man, don't worry, buddy. It's going to be okay. In the review. If that was me, I'd be like, I'm screwed. They're yeah. going to be like, why didn't you give TPA? And be like, well, he was dead. That doctor, that doctor what? admin reviewed it so quickly too. It was like 10 minutes after he goes, you did everything. That's fine. Like who reviews a case 
that fresh and that quickly with the fiance I mean, outside waiting to figure out what's going on. Yeah, wait, wait, waiting for someone to return her call. <clears throat> yeah, I, I thought that know. was like, I thought that was kind of crappy. Like, you know, I understand in the adult world, it's a little bit different than the pediatric world, but this guy asked multiple times to, hey man, I can't get a hold of my fiance. Can you call my fiance? Yes, we're all, we're all insanely busy in the emergency department. I, I get it. But I think it's not unreasonable to have attempted at least once, whether you have the, the nursing, the, the secretary, or whether that's even nursing themselves. You know, yeah. sometimes they're, the, they're awesome and they make those phone calls for us yeah. because they're running around like madmen. But yeah. come on. Come on, yeah. yeah I this feel is a, like a dick. I'll, yeah, I'll take it. Take it back to my experience again. My dad was recently hospitalized for COVID and was uh, in the ICU for more than three weeks. The nurses, they might not call me back for three hours, but they would call me back. They they yeah. they would find the time. Yeah, and yeah, and I think that's that's important. Uh, I think, you know, I think, I think one of the things that we're criticized so much for as doctors is for our absolutely horrendous communication, which sometimes it's, it is our fault. Sometimes it's families who are so stressed out from the situation that they just, it just goes over their head and they don't remember or whatever, whatever, you know, but you're right. I think the communication aspect that is displayed in this episode is huge. It's huge. Because that is one of the biggest failings that I think we have as physicians is we have to communicate well. Yeah. And if we don't, and nobody, you can't have this, you know, uh, I promise I'll try to come and in and be like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Like, yeah. what? And I make it a point to my residents when I teach them is like, you got to go back to the room and update them what's going on. Because think about when you're on the other side. If you don't know yeah. what's going on, you're going to get mad. So always go back, loop back, say, look, these are, this is what's taking a while. This is what we got so far. I'll keep you posted as best as I can. And just making that 30 seconds, it's really not even a minute or two minutes. It's sometimes just 30 seconds. makes a yeah. huge difference. Yeah. And I think that's like the big thing with this case is that doctor was very important trying to fix other people's problems and not dealing with his own problems. Mm-hmm which might be a good transition to case number four. Yeah, case, case number four, uh, which starts out with um, a doctor uh, with a name. Um, Dr. Manning. Dr. Manning, uh, who apparently earlier this season uh, received a traumatic brain injury yes. uh, and uh, was re- had recently returned to work and was on light duty in the emergency room with a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> Those Number don't make one, sense. light duty in the emergency Those... room. Yeah, it's pretty light. Yeah. Pretty light. Yeah. Nothing, because, you know, those easy cases never turn out to be something serious, like, ever. Right. You know? <clears throat> like, I, God. This is like an episode of, and I hate to say it, it's, they're trying to make it women be emotional. And kind of, uh-huh. kind of, which is a horrible way to do it, you know? And, like, I hate that they go, hey, this kid just has a bloody nose. And then the doctor tries to pawn it off on a med student. 
going, oh, it's a med student case. Let them deal with it. it I've never. Really? Yes, that's actually how it started was, yeah. oh, it's a bloody nose. It sounds like a med student case. Just give right. it to a med it, student. It was a, this case is beneath me, was, was, yeah. was essentially, it's, and they're it's making her you're seem pampering so... me because, yeah. because I have a traumatic brain injury and you don't think I should be treating, and, and you don't I think do... I can treat patients properly. I'm sorry. You don't think I can treat patients properly, but you're still letting me come to work. And I don't like the way they kind of portray her in this episode. Like, this is a really, like, unfair, horrible way to portray her. But, I mean, okay, I will say, maybe it does sound like a med student case, but it doesn't mean as a physician, you just let the med student see the case and then just ignore it. And that's what she's implying is, oh, it's a med student case. A med student can totally deal with this by themselves. There's no way I would let a med student just go see a bloody nose by themselves and just let them discharge them without even doing anything. That's yeah. super lazy. Right. I don't know if that's a traumatic brain injury talking, but that's dumb. Uh, it, it, and, and then we, you know, she gets in the room with the patient and then we find out that the patient's parents, um, Jared Kushner and uh, <laughs> it, right. and and, and and, and and his his other wife um, are uh, holistic medicine anti-vaxxers. This is, um, I think uh, Jackson and Jackson and I both deal with this probably more than we would we would like. And I under I, I think this goes. Th this is such a large issue, and, and it's difficult to talk about. But I think this goes back to an extent of what we talked about with like communication is a lot of these people who don't necessarily trust science or trust the Western medicine, I guess. Ah, we'll just say medicine. We're just going to say medicine because there's Fine. no such thing as Western or Eastern medicine. It's just medicine. Fine. Uh, Fine. Like I think it, it, a lot of it stems from a bad experience that they've had. Yeah. And I get it. We, you know, whether it's ourselves or with family, I'm sure we've all had a bad experience in the medical field yeah. Uh, or from a, a customer service standpoint, we've probably all had an awful experience. And, and so I, I understand the reticence from the, from the family, but I think Jackson like hit the nail on the head and this was done so over the top and the portrayal of the, of the doctor just being very almost flippant towards the end in the beginning i thought it was actually a, a relatively reasonable response mm -hmm, but yeah. with these families to be honest with you you have to actually really communicate well really, the kid communication gloves. is so important because they want to know every, every single thing about what are the risks what are the benefits why are we doing this and so which i think is a good thing i think they're mm -hmm. advocating and that's great yeah but she didn't do any of those things. No. And I think they purposely did that to set up the conflict right. in yeah. this case. And that's and whatever. That's fine. That's TV. Cool. Good on you. These, like, these are situations where I tell families, like in the beginning, like after I learn about their alternative treatment plans, as I go, look, we're all on the same team here. We all want to make sure your kid is better. And I don't want to create new problems but I also have to go based on what I know is evidence and what works well. And I know there's some things that you don't agree with, but I need to make sure that I do what's best for him without causing new problems. 
or him or her. And I think that's like the big thing that I'll have a discussion with in the beginning. Um, I also will make sure that if I'm looking in a kid's mouth to look for a post-nasal drip to use a light. Yes, <laughs> yes! <laughs> like, oh yeah, look, there's a cotton oh, soaking back there. Yeah. It looks like there's inflammation. Like, what? I'm like, you man, your night vision is great in the darkest ER <laughs> of all time. And you can look in the mouth and go, post-nasal drip. I got oh, it. You got a sinusitis. Also, why are you diagnosing sinusitis on a probably three-year-old? Why would so you not do that? Because they don't have sinuses yet. Correct. What? So the, the, yes. Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't. They can't yeah. develop sinusitis. So the problem with this, though, is that Johnny while Jackson, <laughs> while Jackson and I are like on board with this, the fact is this is actually real. I like. Mm -hmm. I'll give them props for like reality of the situation because this happens a lot. We're like, oh, we were at another emergency department or we went to urgent care and we got diagnosed with sinusitis. My kid's two. And you're like, well, the only sinuses you have are your ethmoid sinuses, which are your sinuses in the nose right here. Otherwise, they're not developed. You cannot develop sinusitis. So yeah. your sinuses don't really fully form until maybe seven is when you get like the big ones that you can what? get sinusitis. That's insane. Yeah. So everyone says, oh, my sinuses are congested. They mean their nose. Mm -hmm. The nose yes. is not your Correct. sinus. Correct. Sinuses are pockets that are in your skull that sometimes can fill up with mucus. So like, you know, when you have like a really stuffy nose and you're like, my teeth hurt. What the heck? That's like your ethmoid sinuses filling up with mucus. And you're like, or your maxillary sinuses actually too, um, filling up with mucus, pushing down on the roots. And that's why you have pain. And that's like sinusitis stuff. Or you have a headache in your forehead that's filled with mucus, that's a frontal sinusitis. That's when you have a true sinusitis, not when your nose is stuffy and you're like, oh, my sinuses are stuffy. Yeah. Hey, Johnny, yeah. Johnny, yeah, my mind's looks... blown. I'm, I'm done for this episode. Keep going, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you want to have like debunking like garbage medicine uh, talk, like, <laughs> I mean, Jax and I are all in for that. But also, uh, yeah. Diagnosed with sin bacterial sinus uh, infection with the labs. Who? Who does that? Not me. Yeah. But, but the thing is, again, I think I, I, I'll give them credit for reality because that stuff does happen. That yeah. stuff happens more times than we would like to think because in general emergency departments for people who aren't experts, like those who are trained in pediatric emergency medicine, I think sometimes they tend to overdiagnose something like that. And I think that's the problem with this patient, right? Is like, you have this person who's like, oh, yeah, it's probably just sinusitis. They need antibiotics. Well, they don't. And you also just said you think this is all allergies. And then you yeah. said, well, why don't oh, we get pneumonia. labs? What yeah, are you yeah. getting labs for? Even if they have a fever, I'm not getting labs on you. Like, yeah. but it doesn't change blood, your though, management. Yeah. But when they said coughing up blood, I'm like, okay, now we'll dig a little deeper. Sure. Yeah. Sure. But that's fine. Like, this is like one where they go, oh, he has a sinus infection. Let's give him a mox. No, I don't want to do it because he got hives. You can get hives from a mox if you take like it with a viral infection. So, and that's not even technically a true allergy. And then they're like, the reasoning for getting a chest x-ray to rule out pneumonia was, and I quote, because I had to write it down because I was dying. Pneumonia is notorious in children for having a slow progression. <laughs> that's... <laughs> That heavy sigh was what I had because she diagnosed him with pneumonia for wheezing, which technically 
wheezing actually decreases the likelihood that you have pneumonia like significantly. Hmm. Yeah. So like these are so, all just yeah. crazy things. Uh, and, and and that's why I give, to be honest with you, like, I don't know, I'm kind of on the <clears throat> side of the parents in this one. They're yeah. like, why do you, why do you want to get a chest x-ray? Okay. Like tell them like, Hey, your child's coughing up blood. Yeah. That's probably a good reason to get a chest x-ray. I think that's yeah. reasonable. But like the, you get the chest x-ray and they're like, well, I don't know. Like, well, I thought you said it was going to be definitive. Well, they're, yeah. they're, they're, you know, the doctor's right. It is not hundred percent definitive, but nothing in medicine is. But at the same time, come on, man. Like if you get a chest x-ray and it doesn't look like there's pneumonia there and the kid's breathing fine and looks fantastic from that standpoint, you know what? I would not be yelling at the parents to be like, Oh my God, pneumonia. Yeah. So some, some something uh, the I, I don't know if he was uh, if if he was the attending or if he was just another another doctor in the ER. Another doctor uh, said was this is the second time in a month a parent has doubt ha, has doubted your diagnosis or something along those lines. I would be pissed if someone told me that. Oh, number number Ooh, one, super pissed. Yeah. Also, I, why are you counting? why are you counting number two i would feel like frankly just generally dealing with the general public if it's the second time in the day someone's doubted your diagnosis you're probably having a good day uh, yeah <laughs> look i coming from me i get parents maybe once per ship ask me if i know what i'm doing for sure or doubting what i'm doing on, on a <laughs> daily basis i i just roll with the punches and just be confident in my own skills but if a colleague calls me out on it i'd be super mad that's like not professional that is not appropriate yeah like, especially in person like that i mean one that doesn't that doesn't really happen too <clears> often <throat> and a, man i hate to wade into these like are these these ideas but like there's a part of me where I see that where I'm like, are you saying this because she's a woman? Like, is that a part of it? Like why you watch? I mean, like, I know there's that TBI history with this person, with that doctor, but like, what do you, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like nobody, nobody ever has that conversation. Like I don't keep tallies on other doctors, whether or not I agree with them or I don't agree with them because Mm. we all do things differently. Well, Maybe yeah. But but like at the same time, like one, I'm not going up to him and be like, "Hey, uh, you're an idiot, so stop." Like that doesn't happen. Like that's messed up. Yeah, we we'll never do that. However, her behavior does escalate. Her her, her um, behavior escalates slightly uh, when she a little grab, bit. grabs a IV bag full of antibiotics, oh. locks the door. Uh, this and is a poorly di- designed ED. You can it, lock doors from inside. You can lock doors. Uh, also, the lighting on the IVs is the same blue light you see in a dive bar bathroom that keeps <laughs> you from injecting heroin. Yeah. They know. They know their audience. Yeah. Um, but, like, who, who gives antibiotics to kids without consent, locking the room, forcing the family out? Like, pneumonia for toddlers is not fatal. It isn't. 
It'll make them yeah. sick. It potentially can be fatal, but it doesn't mean it's a hundred percent fatal. Like well, this yeah, might be a pain. I mean, you're, you're right. And I, I mean, I think the other thing that goes along with this is again, maybe it adds to the reality of it is that a, um, a huge percentage of the time over 90%, uh, this is going to be a viral pneumonia anyway. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of arguments from infectious disease doctors, pulmonologists, data that will show you that, you know what, again, those, what we call like those like difficult parents, they might be right. Like antibiotics <clears throat> may not be warranted. And to be honest no. with you, unless this kid has some massive pneumonia on the x-ray, they're having difficulty breathing. To be honest with you, I'm not, I'm not rolling with antibiotics unless radiology, unless radiology in their documentation goes, uh, this is uh, right low bar pneumonia, then yeah. fine, fine. Clinically correlated. Fine. But otherwise, like in this equivocal case, that's not happening, man. Like I think yeah. Jackson brought it up before about these like return precautions and stuff. I would just sit there and be like, sounds good. I'm on board. These are the reasons you need to come back. You know what? Even if you want to be over cautious, you can I give them a dose them. of it. You can you you could admit them, or you could yeah. be like, "Look, I know you don't want to give antibiotics right now, and you're going to refuse. That's fine. I'm going to give you a prescription to go home. If your child gets worse, please start them or come yeah. back. Pick your poison. Yeah. I don't care. Like, yeah. there's so many different approaches other than I'm going to burn it all down and make yeah. sure that I go to jail. And that's pretty much what is going to happen to this lady is that she gave antibiotics without family consent because a family is the one who gives consent for all of this, locks the room, and then just gives antibiotics. And granted, <clears throat> I've been in situations like this before where I'm like, we need to give this kid antibiotics. He will die. And then you have to call the court. The right. court needs to say it's okay. And, and you have to prove that this kid is in imminent danger and needs this life-saving treatment. And it's going to be hours if you're lucky um, to get it approved in time. And it, like, it would be the opposite of, of the situation with the, uh, with the 5150 where, okay, you can't, you're, you're probably not going to get a court to pick up the phone immediately to get you out of the hospital. And you're because, probably not going to get a court to pick up the phone immediately to treat this kid. Yeah, I think the difference is the difference is the fifty-one fifty. It's safer to presume a fifty-one fifty and keep them in, as opposed to letting someone decompensate and die immediately. Right, that's the and, big and, difference. And, and like, I think to the to the point that you're bringing up is, you know, if you if you truly thought, you know, if you had all the evidence in the world to show, no, this kid has pneumonia, they're in distress, they need antibiotics for whatever reason, um, because or because of the pneumonia. And you're like, look, they need antibiotics. You know, I think Jackson brought it like, well, you, fine. You don't want to do it. We're going to admit them. If parents keep refusing. So technically, we have the right to override families in the case of an emergency if we think that is the right decision. Again, this goes back to that psych discussion that we had. We try not to do that because we would like families to be on board for these decisions, right? Yeah. But if a family really doesn't want to, for whatever reason, you can admit them and you can be like, all right, fine. We'll hold off 
but I guarantee you when, when a family sees that their kid is starting to decompensate, that they look like death, they're not going to sit back or at least no um, mm, reasonable, reasonable family is going to sit back and allow that to happen to their child or to anybody I mean, in their family. I mean, in my personal experience, I had a patient where the mom was like, nope, no antibiotics. He's going to be fine. I want to use my natural stuff. I'm like, you can. I'm just going to admit you to the hospital so they can watch you overnight because I'd rather you get some sleep knowing someone's paying attention to him, making sure he doesn't get sicker while you're using your medication. However, if we need to give him the stronger medications, I know you don't want to do this now, but if he needs the stronger medications, he's in a place where he can get it immediately instead of you coming back. And usually selling it like that and doing a joint decision-making where you go, look, you need to stay so we can watch you works a little bit better instead of being cavalier locking the door and giving medication and losing your medical license correct you're never going to practice medicine again after that oh yeah that is someone who's not um and that's how that episode ended was right crazy doctor locking himself in spoiler uh, and, and, yeah uh, and then next episode doesn't she end up releasing a video called plandemic <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> Can you don't, stop? Don't, don't you promote dare. that. Don't, don't you promote, don't that. promote that. Don't you promote that evil, Johnny. Oh, Christmas man. Week. Don't you dare. That's they just opened the beaches, Johnny. Come on. <laughs> I don't want them to close it. Um, but the spoiler was it wasn't pneumonia. It was an autoimmune disease called Wegener's. Or they called it something else. They used the acronym. Um, but that's an older person disease where they get it. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a forty to fifty year old person. I hate when they do this stuff. When they're like, "Well, they had, uh, yeah, Wegener's," and you're like, "Okay, is it possible for the kid to have it?" Sure, sure. I mean, this is like house stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's house syndrome. Like, come on, like, yes, we can do the one in a million or one in a billion case. That's that's fine. It's just not how the real world works. I guess it's more interesting because it allows the story to get dragged on. But I mean, I think the, the issues around the cases are actually the interesting uh, parts of it. And I think the, the human dynamic that occurs is more interesting. But I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, this was terrible. Yeah. I did not like this case. It brought back very, very many bad memories with dealing with patients like this. And it's tough. You're wearing kid gloves the whole time because you don't want to say anything to offend them. And it, it's so rough. Um, and yeah. this is basically an example of how not to handle any of this. Yeah, yeah, it's Especially. pretty bad. It's pretty bad. I mean, I would, I would like to go back to what I thought at the very beginning, which I thought was, I love that they always do this in the medical shows. The, the ED doctor who, like, goes and flirts with the nurse or whatever – and like, I think he even like gives her a kiss in the emergency They're department. Dating. Yeah, They're they, they move in together next episode. Cool, cool. <laughs> but it still works. But Not like, you know, you know what like doesn't happen in the workplace anywhere? That. And um, like, it's not appropriate, man. Like, I think I, the term you're saying, trying to come up with is "don't poop where you eat." <sighs> I mean, I get. Look, look, that happens all the time. It happens all the time, but. How overt it is is ridiculous. Yeah, not a problem. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure, Jackson, you have some stories from friends. training or medical school or from friends that stuff some colleagues. Happened. Yeah, I maybe. certainly, I certainly do as well. But like some of this stuff, I'm like, dude, it's not as salacious as you think. Like to be honest with you, us as doctors, 
we're kind of like nerdy people who have spent like, God knows, 30 years of our lives getting to where we got to. And, you know, it's not like that every doctor out there, one, is insanely good looking, like the doctors in every single TV show out there. And Mm -hmm. two, is just like a chick magnet. It's not like you're just like, hey, what's up, nurse? Yeah. I know you want it. I'm <laughs> like, that's not how it works. Like, even if I was single, I'm married. Like, I don't, I can't go up to a nurse and like put my hand on her shoulder and be like Joe Biden her. Like, I don't know, you know, like this, this doesn't work. Like, this is creepy. You know, it, it's not real. It's no, not real. It is not. It is definitely not. Gosh, man. Oh, you know, should we transition? That's yeah. a good transition point to number five. And yeah, the last one. Me, it actually, kind of, kind of ties into the uh, the don't poop with your eat. Don't poop with your eat. Why have I stopped being able to speak English on this podcast the last three weeks? Uh, don't poop where you eat. Um, the I think significantly less podcast juice as we re- uh, record has been the problem. Um, the, you've got the, the, the doctor in the, oh, she's a nurse in the hospital who's, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer and is hiding it from her colleagues and also getting treated at that hospital. Yeah. Um, question, (sighs) Hmm. how do you hide it from your colleagues and also get treated at that hospital? That's the weirdest hair loss pattern I've seen. (laughs) It was just like male pattern baldness. Yeah, she has, she has my hairline. It's all good. Man. But, it looks, but her it eyebrows good. Are still it looks good. Yeah. Um, you can't really like. I think seeing your colleague being really tired and pale. Also, if you're getting active chemo, the worst place you want to be is an emergency. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, no, you're surrounded true. by germs. It's terrible. I mean, there's so many things wrong with that whole thing. Like one, she's like out of breath at one point. And yeah. they're like, oh, hey, you doing all right? Yeah, yeah, I got to go. Like, I'm stressed out. Yeah. yeah. You look like you're going to die. Again, maybe Chicago Med crushing it on the reality of people look like they're going to die in the episodes. Yeah. But, like, she looked horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Agreed. And, and, and also, I don't know how many times in a, on a shift, whether it's a nurse, a doctor, anybody else that you work with, goes, hey, uh, I got to go. And they can just, like, walk out impossible you have an assignment you have an assignment of rooms to take care of at least in california um you know you have your assignment you have a certain number of patients to take care of you're in charge of those rooms I'm you can't just work go, from home I'm for the leaving. rest of the day if that's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm just gonna leave not not my problem someone else home. they I can they can that. push the meds i know i, I would do love that. to do like telehealth emergency it's impossible it's like the hardest oh. thing to do but Unless like, you've got that many iPads in the hospital. So many iPads. With so a robotic iPads. arm that I can put a breathing tube in. It's <laughs> the way to go, man. Um, but like, so they show a scene of her going to the infusion center and um, getting her quote unquote chemo. And it was just gentamicin and saline. And I know, Johnny, you're asking what's gentamicin. It's an antibiotic. I was going to say it's got a mycin in it. So I know that so, much. Yeah. So, you, so you brought this up. And I was like, that's just weird. So I did actually look this up and see if there was anything on PubMed. And supposedly Uh there is some 
potential. Some evidence that gentamicin is something one. that could be used for breast cancer. Uh, but I, I am not aware of it being used on its own. So it's I haven't little, either. a little weird, but yeah. And usually if you are going to use chemo, a lot of the times the chemo is really photosensitive. So they put it in like a dark bag to hide it too. This is all from experience. This is what I've learned. Um, where you actually had to put it in like a dark bag to cover it up and then they infuse it in. But also if you're going to give it through a port, which is what she had on her chest, you try not to have the shirt and all the cables all touch the shirt <laughs> and all that stuff. Um, and I think that's why your friend brought it up, Johnny, to do this episode mm -hmm. was that is not how you use a port. <laughs> no, no, they, that is they, a very, they'd be keeping so, it as sterile as possible. Yeah. You probably would want to have it exposed as much and not touching everything. Um, that port is basically going straight towards your heart. And um, you don't want to introduce bacteria towards your heart. It's so, so you don't want to Front work in an Front emergency room and have an open port. I mean, in well, theory, her port shouldn't open. be open. Okay, yeah, it it's, it's, open. so it's not something that they leave it. It's not like a permanent, like she, she keeps the same port there all the time. So a port, think of it like, um, how do I describe it? It looks like a gumdrop that's big underneath your skin that you can put a needle into it. And then mm -hmm. the gumdrop actually has like a little catheter that goes towards your heart. Okay. And you can insert a very long needle into it to access the port. Mm -hmm. But the thing is you want to make sure you're super clean. So anytime someone is dealing with port, they're like dressed up in gowns, wearing surgical gloves, masks and all that. They don't want to spit on it or get droplets on it and then accidentally introduce bacteria on the surface of the skin into the chest. So they don't sit down next to you and have an apple and a conversation while, while you're getting your chemo. No, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe in those, maybe in those like DaVita, um, kidney, <laughs> the kidney dialysis places. maybe in those DaVita places they do. I don't Shoot, know. They were going to sponsor us next week. Dang it. <laughs> Can't use that, would, that would be a bad sponsor. Uh, crossing it off. Davida, get it out. <laughs> Davida's out. Gilead's out. Like, are oh. your kidneys out working? Call Davida. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Uh, no thanks. And then um, them deaccessing the port. They just kind of unhooked up that one wire and just left it open. Like, you're done. You need to flush it with heparin and all that stuff and then really sterilely remove it and all that stuff too. So that part is kind of, kind of bad. Okay. Too. So it's, it's, it's not a, it stays in all the time port. It's a, Oh no, no. The port no, is no, underneath. No, it your, in there. It's in your okay. body the whole time, but you don't have, usually shouldn't be having anything hanging out of it for a prolonged period. Of Got time. it. Okay. Unless you um, want an infection. Yeah. Which okay. I did have a lot of psych patients that will try to access their port and then shove poop in it. Was this in New Mexico? No, it was in Long Beach. Oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, can I just mention one of the most ridiculous and probably favorite part of this episode was when she revealed to her coworker she had cancer. I, I just take they, they all walked just, out at the same time and took off the. And wig. then she took off her wig. Yep, she wig revealed just to show that she was bald, and everyone immediately said cancer. Not male pattern baldness. Yeah, or psoriasis. No, nope. everyone knew right Alopecia. away. Alopecia. Nope, cancer. 
you're being harsh. You're being harsh on that one. I'm no, gonna, I, I'm gonna give it a pass. I'm gonna give it a fine. pass. I think it's a weird way to reveal that you have cancer, but you know, fine. Hey, wig reveals are big now. If you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, everyone has wig reveals, and that's a big way to reveal. Oh, my wife watches a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can at least Jackson and I can both agree that the proper way to reveal is to sit down and say the tests came back came it's back definitely really can't. <laughs> <laughs> see that's the way to reveal that you got breast cancer right and then talk yeah. about johnny's promotion at the bank correct <laughs> that is the way to go scott i hope you know what we're talking about wow i really hope that's not a real life occurrence that occurred because nope. Johnny, uh, I'm sorry. No, it, it's, it's the the room, uh, which the is greatest movie, cinematic. Greatest, yeah, it's so good. It's it's the a cinematic masterpiece. Oh it's god, it's so good. Super, All right. Good. Uh, speaking of cinematic masterpieces, no, I have no, an important coming. question, and this is Scott's first first exposure to this question. The Human Centipede bills itself as 100% medically accurate. Oh. If that's the case. Uh, how medically accurate is season five, episode five of Chicago Med, A Friend in Me? Dr. Scott Herskovitz. <laughs> <laughs> Letting him do it first. Wow. Uh, thanks, buddy. Uh, appreciate just throwing it out there for me, huh? Um, all right. All right. I'll give, um, I think there was some medical, medical accuracy to this episode. I think some of it, I'm like, holy crap, you lost your license, you're going to jail, and you're probably going to get sued. So, you know, there's a couple things on there that I'm like, that's crazy. But some of the other stuff, I'm, I actually didn't think it was too horrible. I'll give it, man, maybe I'm being really nice right now. Maybe there's things that are way worse than this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a, um, I'm going to give it a 50%. Oof. Okay. Arch. So 100 human centipede is our baseline. Human centipede is 100%. Okay. So you think That's it's half awesome. as medically accurate as the movie where <laughs> where where people uh where faces get sewn to butts and you're being nice. I mean, that's a very accurate movie. <laughs> Especially the second one? Come on, guys. Oh, you mean full sequence? No. <laughs> um I'm not going to be as harsh as Scott. I will say it's 80%. Um, I I think okay. Look, Chicago exists. Not, Chicago a Chicago exists. It is a real place. Um, I will say the stress of dealing with a toddler or uh, sorry, parents who don't believe in uh, traditional medicine, very aggressive, very upsetting. However, not would would not do what she does. Um, actually, no. I'm gonna go down seventy. Now, because I'm looking through my notes, I'm like, man, there's a lot of bad stuff in here. <laughs> um, I mean, worse than sewing butts to faces, like, bad. Like, it's, it's not good. It is not a good episode. I mean, it is definitely worse than last week's episode where we talked about The Resident, surprisingly. Yeah. That, that was a surprisingly decent episode. Jackson, Jackson one, of, one of the people in this show is going to go to jail for what she did. The other Medic person. Hold on, that's medically accurate. <laughs> all right, all right, fair <laughs> enough. 
Fair enough. You, Maybe you, I need to raise my bar. I'll go maybe I'm, like I'm 65 for set. I'm just saying, if you push meds and stuff like that, you're going to jail. And that is 100, <laughs> that is 100% medically accurate. Um, I would say the chemo stuff, bad. The crazy Asian lawyer lady, pretty close, except for all that other stuff. The DVT stuff could have been done better. That one was just bad medicine, not inaccuracy. The bad mm. medicine part came from someone just going in and going, you did everything right which I, I feel like you might say that in a bad code situation. You know, like, look, yeah. you tried everything, you did everything right. But when it goes to like M&M or case review or anything like that, they'll be like, oh man, there's a lot of stuff that went wrong. M&M is morbidity, morbidity and mortality when Marshall Mathers comes and reviews uh, how Correct. you did. Correct. Some Shady comes yeah. and reviews everything. You mean me? I think, I, I think I've only been in one case where everyone outside of the room goes, that went horribly. And it wasn't my case, but it was one case where everyone's, oh, that was terrible. Why weren't you there? I'm like, don't try to get intrigued. We'll talk about this offline. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But that, I think, I think the percentage I gave, 70% is where I stand. 65 is good. No, no, no. You argue your number. That is the, that is a big part of why the episode. Because you argue yeah. why you're doing what you're doing. There is, there's definitely more reality to it. I think you're right. Um, it's just not good. Yeah. yeah, it is worse than the human centipede. It, it you know was, what? it was a lot of mistakes compiled into 42 minutes of television. Five yeah, cases man. is too many cases for an hour of TV. That is way too many. Because like, yeah, true. The DBT case are just like, oh hey, oh guess you're dead. That's essentially the storyline. It's like, oh, all I know about him is he has a fiance. He can't breathe. Oops, he's dead. Oh, the fiance never talked to him. The end. Oh, and he played tennis yesterday. Oh, and he played tennis yesterday. This is one storyline that could have been stretched for the whole episode as like the B plot easily. And it would have had the same stakes. Well, maybe the next episode of Chicago Med is about... uh... Uh, implicit bias in medicine and there's a massive riot in Southside <laughs> Chicago because the idiot doctors did not take the black man's uh, you know symptoms uh, seriously right seriously you know maybe that's maybe that happened and I'd be you okay with that you if know what they that did also, that I would be okay with that Scott you know what also that implies that I'm going to be able to get through another episode of Chicago <laughs> in the next week <laughs> <laughs> oh some of these episodes really take a lot out of me, and this is one of them. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit over the course of the episode, but is there something that you would change um, other than doors that lock on the inside uh, to make it more medically accurate while keeping, keeping the dramatic stakes high? Because the dramatic stakes were constantly at at least an 11 throughout this episode. They were. I mean, they didn't slow down. Quite high. No. Have you That's seen? Chicago, have you though. seen? Have you seen the movie Before Sunset? They managed yes. to make nothing have high dramatics, emotional stakes. Like, yes. come on, man! You can make this. There's so many reasonable stories that you can give in medicine that aren't outlandish, that do show how medicine actually works, that displays the the human side of medicine 
and as well as well as kind of like incorporating some of the social issues that we deal with on an everyday basis that we're not immune to yet instead no. we choose to make medical shows that that display like garbage um random rare things that occur or hot hot button issues instead of like like in this episode like you said five five stories pick one pick one like i'll give house i'll give house props that they basically for the most part will like pick like one patient and go through it it may be ridiculous maybe ridiculous but at least they pick one patient that they just examine the ridiculousness of the patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with a lot of that. I, I would also say there's, oof, this episode has too much with so little done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my brain I don't know, man. You're right. I, I think it, it's just so hard. Like, I don't know what your, I don't know if we've had this discussion, like what your favorite medical show is like i don't watch any of this garbage but it's for gross. me like I, yeah right like i think you it's talk to like most doctors and they're like hey what's the most accurate and you're like scrubs man like you have a show about a bunch of um uh, learning um amateur doctors who have no idea what they're doing and that's what training is yeah that's what and training I, is. And that show was great. Everyone was too cocky in this show, I think. I think that's the biggest thing is everyone was very prideful. Yeah, every single doctor. And I think I texted you about this, Johnny, before the episode. I was like, I don't think anyone's likable. Yeah. I yeah, don't I, think anyone was likable. That's, uh, the, we texted back, back and forth after watching it. Of, do we want to do this one? Because we didn't like the characters. Any of them. They all suck. Any of they them. They all suck so much. Except for maybe Oliver Platt. I was going to say, yeah. It, they all sucked. They all sucked so much. But yeah, this was a, a tough episode, but there's clearly a lot that can be fixed. I yeah. expect better things from Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift guy. I, I expect better things. I I'm expect tell you better right things now. from Dick Wolf because, I mean, <laughs> Law and Order was 100% legally accurate. I, I will say this, Scott. Like the the Hobbs and Shaw movie was a good one. That no, one it was fun. good. I found it entertaining. Uh, That's probably one of my favorite movies I saw last year. I I so had stupid. low expectations for Hobbs and Shaw because I haven't seen many of the Fast and the Furious movies. I haven't seen like maybe since the first or second one, so and good. it was it was great. It was a blast. It, it was, was just so entertaining. Good. It was just pure fun. It was pure it was, fun. You know what yep, this was, show, uh, Chicago Med. Not pure, fun. not pure yeah, fun. Th- th- no. This show lacked fun. This this <laughs> show lacked the lighthearted whimsy of the resident. Don't 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 you this on us. The resident is whimsical. Have you guys, have you guys have you guys done an episode of New Amsterdam yet? Oh God, no. That's next. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's on that's on the docket. By the way, oh, I, I think for the sake of Jackson's um, brain like and liver. Uh, our, our next episode will probably not be a medical drama. <laughs> we have to do a brand medical dramas in between. Otherwise, no, we did do back to back. Yeah, we did do back to back. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, th- thank you, Scott, for joining us. Uh, thank, thank you, you Jackson, once again. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, this was a 
a much more in-depth uh, episode than I anticipated when I watched when I watched the episode of Chicago Med the first time. But good luck man. editing this one. <laughs> uh, but but thanks, folks, for listening. We'll be back next Tuesday with uh, with more of this. So thanks, folks.